thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. everybody how we doing you guys you guys were wise waited till the cold kind of got a little less cold come to 10 30. Um, hey my name is Jeff Lubeck I'm the worship pastor here in case you've never met me or I've never met you it's so good to have you here if you're watching online glad you guys could tune in and be with us this morning uh, I want to start off this morning by asking all the guys in the room a question so if, whether you're married or you're living at home like or you've been a son at some point and and uh, how many times in the last let's say two weeks if, raise your hand in the last two weeks if you've asked your wife where something of yours was. If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. Um, so so there, there is this great like mystery that happens when you get married or like when you're living at home as a young guy, like with your mom at home. And for whatever reason, God has not given, the, given guys the ability to find things. Um, and, and I say this because when I, it's like a, a theme of my life. Like every day I'm like, hey, Katie, where are my shoes? It's like, well, where did you have them last? I'm like, well, that's a dumb question. Um, like I wouldn't be asking you if I knew that. But, uh, but I'm like, I don't know. Like, well, have you checked the garage? Have you checked all these places? I'm like, yes, I've checked all those places. Like, I just don't know where they are. She's like, I'm pretty sure they're in the garage. I'm like, I've already checked the garage like three times, but if you wanna go out and look, you can. She goes out, she like lifts up like a shirt or like a towel or something. She's like, they're right there. I'm like, how do you do this? You know, like it just, they just have this ability. Um, and I've figured out why. If you, if you don't know, you should listen in because I've figured out why guys are really bad at finding things. It's because we are too lazy to move things around when we're looking for things. Yeah, I see a lot of women like nodding right now. Yeah, so like if I get in the, into the, the uh, refrigerator and I'm like, hey, honey, where's the Chick-fil-A sauce? Because you have to have a bottle of Chick-fil-A sauce on tap at your house. If you don't, you don't know you're missing. Um, but I'm like, where's the Chick-fil-A sauce? She's like, it's in the fridge. I'm like, it is not here. And like, this is my looking. I'm just doing this. I never touch anything. She comes over, just moves something aside. She's like, it's right here. I'm like, oh, that's, that's why guys can't find things. And my, my wife's favorite, is anybody, any other wives in here that you like to gloat when they find something that their husbands can't find or like prove them wrong? Yes, and if you say no, you're lying too. So, uh, but when my wife finds something in the, in the fridge or something, her favorite thing to say to me now is this line from the movie, The Star. If you ever seen the movie, The Star, it's, it's like basically the animal's account of the birth of Jesus put out by Sony a few years ago. Well, in, the, in this movie, there's uh, the like, guy that's trying to capture Mary and Joseph. He has two dogs. And uh, one of them's really mean, the other one's just dumb as a box of rocks. But at the end of the movie, they come to see baby Jesus and this like, cross-eyed goat looks at them and says, look with your eyes, like saying like, don't try to touch baby Jesus. And that's exactly what my wife tells me every time she finds something. It's like the running joke in my house. And now my daughters have started saying it. So it's really great. I love being at home. Um, no, but, but uh, 
this, this week as I was preparing for our message on Ephesians 3 and just the mystery of the gospel, uh, that came to mind. And also 2 Kings chapter 6 came to mind. Now, 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, the story that's unfolding in this chapter is about the prophet Elisha and his servant. And they are at this place in like a valley surrounded by mountains. And the king at the time wants to capture him. Uh, he's upset. He wants to capture Elisha. So he sends this great army with chariots and horses and, and all kinds of infantry to go and capture Elisha, which seems like overkill for one dude, but he did. And so one morning they wake up and Elisha's servant goes outside and he sees this great army just surrounding them. And he runs back in and he says, he says, Elisha, what are we supposed to do? Like this army is surrounding us. They've come to, to capture us. What are we to do? And he says, says to his servant, look, there's more out there for us than there are against us. And he prays and he says, God, would you please open the eyes of my servant so that he could see. He's, he's asking God to open his eyes so that he could see exactly what he knows is true. And so the servant goes back outside and he looks and all of a sudden on all the mountainsides surrounding them are, are horses and chariots of fire there to fight for him. The Lord's army is there to fight for him. And, and he's just astounded. And this prayer that he prayed that God would just open his eyes so that he could see the reality of what really was unfolding around him, not just what our physical minds and our physical eyes can see, is my prayer for us this morning as we continue in Ephesians 3. When we talk about this mystery of the gospel, this mystery of Christ, and what's unfolding and how we're a part of it, and how Paul was a part of it, and what, what we should be doing in 2022 as a result of it, my prayer is that our eyes too would be opened so that we could see the glory of God, so that we could see truly what's going on around us, even though a lot of times we don't, because we see physically, we see worldly, when God is moving spiritually around us in so many ways, and has angels moving around us in so many different times. So my prayer this morning is just that. Heavenly Father, would you uh, be with us this morning? God, our prayer this morning is the same words Elisha prayed for his servant, that you would open our eyes so that we could see God, help us to understand um, what the truth of what's going on around us. Help us to understand your, your beautiful and magnificent plans to restore the heart of men, the hearts of men to, to you through your son, Jesus. God, help us to see how you've been working for, since the beginning of time and how you continue to work around us and in us and through us, Lord. Help us to see that even though we don't see each and every day, angels and, and demons and, and, and the spiritual around us, Lord, help us to understand that that is a very real um, reality for us. And God, help us to know that you are with us and for us, Lord. And, and just as Elisha told his servant, Lord, that there, you are for us. And so we don't need to worry about who, who's against us, Father. Be with us. Speak through me, Lord. Um, have your way with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to read the first 13 verses in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, your phone, whatever you have, or if you want to follow along on the screen. If you came this morning and you do not own a Bible, you don't have one, and you would like one, there, are, there is a, a little like, thing of drawers back there, a little table of drawers full of Bibles, and we'd love to give you one just as a gift to have and keep. Uh, but let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians, and this is what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is, the Gentile, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring a light to everyone, bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So this morning I want to, to use this passage and break down into four questions that, that Paul answers for us about this mystery. One is, the first question is, what is the mystery? What is the mystery that Paul is talking about? This mystery of the gospel, mystery of Jesus, that Paul is talking about this saying it's unfolding over, over our, our lives and, and been unfolding since the Old Testament. What, what is that mystery? Then second, what is Paul's role? What is Paul's role within that mystery? God has given him a role within this story that's unfolding, but what is it? And then third, what is the church's role? What is the church's role in this mystery at being unfolded? And then lastly, what is my response? What is our response to all of this today in 2022? What is Paul calling us as the church to do? And so let's dive into question number one. What is the mystery? We think about uh, the mystery. There, there's two parts that Paul really talks about um, in this passage about what this mystery entails. The first part is found in verse six. He's very kind of plain with it and forward with it. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So in other words, this mystery that's unfolding is that the Gentiles are now sharing in these promises of eternal life and salvation because of Jesus Christ. Right? He's adopting them, he's grafting them into God's family. And for the Jewish people that he's writing to that are part of this church or a part of this, this culture and the society in the day, it's almost like they were confused by this. It's almost like they didn't understand why would God allow the Gentile people to be involved in these promises? Why would salvation uh, that once belonged to the Jews now be, belong to everyone? And, and how would it even happen without them becoming Jewish or becoming followers of the law? And they, it seems like they were maybe confused by this, but the truth of the matter is, is they should not have been confused. This was not something new. It was not a new part of God's plan to involve the nations, involve the Gentiles, and, and fold them into his family. In fact, this was his plan from the very beginning. And we even see some of that unfolded in Genesis chapter 12, when God is talking to Abram, who we know as Abraham, the father of nations. And, and uh, you know, if you're a little growing up and you know, the father Abraham had many, you know that song? So we know him as Abraham. His name before was Abram. And God is speaking to him and he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then here's the key part. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
You know, when he makes this promise to Abram that his descendants will be as vast as the, uh, the sand on the seashores and the stars in the sky, that be so many that you can't even count them, he's not talking about just the Israelites. He's talking about all the nations of the earth, people from all people group. The picture that we see in Revelation when it says that before God stood people from every tribe, tongue, and nation praising his name, this is what God had planned since day one. And he said that through Abram and his family, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And it even talks about it in Psalm 67 when the psalmist writes, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way, or your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Right? So we, we know from Genesis and now we're in Psalms that God has revealed to prophets and psalmists and priests of old in the Old Testament that his plan has always been to not just redeem Israel, but to redeem all the nations of the earth. He told them this over and over and over again. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them this. And it was like they just didn't get it and they didn't get it and they didn't get it. They didn't believe it. And so finally, he sends, he sends Jesus. And it's like they just missed all these signs, just like they missed Jesus was the Messiah. How they were looking and looking and looking, but yet they didn't have their eyes open enough to see God's already laid all of this out. He said what he's going to do, but maybe just not how. Maybe not his exact plans. And that's what Paul means when he says that this mystery has been hidden in ages past, is because in ages before, they knew what the plans were. Maybe he allowed the prophets to know and, and have some insight, but they didn't know exactly how God was going to fill this, what it was going to look like, what, how he was going to do it through Jesus. But, but he makes these plans apparent. And this is the mystery that Paul is talking about. This mystery unfolding is that he would send his son Jesus to, to live a perfect life in our place, to die the death that we deserve. And then he would raise him from the dead three days later, later proving that he had victory over sin and over death. And because of that, he is now forming a new covenant, a new people. He's taking Jews and Gentiles, bringing them together under the name of the church and uniting them for his glory. And this has been his plan since day one, but they just missed it. And so this is what the first part of the mystery is, is that, that the Salvation does not belong just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, and he's uniting them under one new name, the church, to forward his kingdom. And the second part of it is, is that up until this time, the mystery is, this part of the mystery is that up until the moment Jesus dies and is resurrected and gives his spirit to his disciples, the presence of God has always resided in a building, in a temple, or a tent in the middle of the Israelites. His presence was very guarded, and there was only a select few men that could come into his presence, and only a select few men that even saw his presence before. And the rest of them, they would come to the temple, they would worship, they would learn, they would make, come and give their sacrifices and their offerings. But his, it was almost like his presence was very limited to the everyday person in, in, in Israel. But last week, Pastor Mike showed us that at the end of chapter two, Paul says that you are no longer strangers and aliens but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And you also are being built into a dwelling place 
of God, for God by the Spirit. You see, now Paul is saying, Jewish people, we, we understand that God used to reside in a temple, but now that's not going to be the case. Now his spirit dwells within every believer and you are being made into his dwelling place. You are now the temple. You are now where his spirit resides and you have direct access to the father. He has given you beautiful, this beautiful relationship with him and it's being accomplished by the giving of his Holy Spirit. And the beautiful part about this mystery is that not only was his spirit living within each believer, but it, there was not a spirit for the Jews and then a different one for the Gentiles. They were being united into one people, one church, and they had the same spirit within each and every one of them. And this was how God's presence was being established in his church. And so the mystery is that, man, salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles. It's been that his plan since day one. You just might've missed it. And also, his spirit is not just going to reside in a temple or his presence in a temple. It's going to reside in you, his church. And so what is Paul's role in all of this? What is Paul's role in all of this? Question two, what, what has God called him to be and how, how has he called him to be involved? Well, we see this in verses seven through nine. In verses seven through nine, it says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul is saying, look, this grace of God, the fact that he redeemed me has been given to me so that two things. The first one is so that I can preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ so that I can go and I can proclaim the gospel to the Gentile people all over the world and tell them that salvation is available to them. And here is the truth of your new identity in Christ. Here's the truth that you've been redeemed and that not only redeemed and forgiven of your sins, but you've been filled with his spirit. And you are now part of God's family, united with Jews, with all believers over the world through his church, telling them that this is what belongs to you now as believers in Christ. But then also the second part was that he was going to bring to light for all people, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but all people. He was going to bring to light the plan of the mystery hidden for God, hidden for ages in God. That this mystery we just talked about, that, that salvation belongs not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles, to anyone who places their faith in Jesus. And that his spirit fills all of us and resides in all of us. And this was his job to go forth and preach to the Gentiles and to all people that this was the reality, this mystery that was unfolding. And I love what he says at the end of verse seven. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Now, when you're studying this text and you see what's called a cross-reference, which is a verse somewhere else in the Bible that helps you understand that verse more fully, the cross-reference for this will point you back to Acts 9. And, and back in Acts 9, this is where Saul, who we know as Paul, becomes Paul. So he's on the road to go kill, kill and imprison Christians. He's on this road to Damascus, and Jesus meets with him. This blinding light surrounds him, and he calls out to Saul, who we know as Paul, and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Lord, who are you? Who, who is it that's speaking to me? And he says, it's me, Jesus, the one, the one whom you are persecuting. And so he's blinded by this light. He, he's led into town and he sits there for three days blind, just 
thinking about these things and dwelling on them and, and comes to place his faith in Christ. And there's this guy, Ananias, in town where he's at. And God goes to him and says, I want you to go and I want you to find Saul and I want you to heal him, give him his sight back, and he's going to be my messenger for the gospel. And he says, wait a second. You mean like Saul, the guy that's been like imprisoning all of us and killing all of us and you want him to be, I don't, God, I don't think you understand like who this guy is. And he's like, he is my chosen messenger to take the gospel to the Gentiles and I will show him how much he will, how much he will, uh, suffer for my name's sake. And that quote, that, that ending line, how much he will suffer for my sake is very key. Because when Paul says that I was made a minister to uh, the gospel according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power, he's saying the gift of God's grace is this life of suffering that I live. The gift of God's grace is that he called me from being lost and, and broken and, and, and so like just living in sin and persecuting his church to now being a guy that is furthering the church and working and preaching the gospel to people all over the world. And the, the suffering I go through, being imprisoned, uh, being hungry, being homeless, uh, being stoned near to death several times, like all of that, that life of suf suffering is all because of God's grace, which seems like a really weird thing to say about that kind of a life, right? That I would look at that life and be like, man, this awesome life I'm living of being suffering all the time is because of God's grace. But that's how Paul understood what he had been called to do by God. And I love what Paul sees. In, I love that Paul sees this very, very simple but really uh, important truth. And that is this, that the gift of God's grace to Paul was meant for the benefit of others. I'll say it again. The gift of God's grace to Paul was meant for the benefit of others. He opens this chapter by saying, hey, I, Paul, uh, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf, on the behalf of the Gentiles. And then at the end, he says, don't, don't lose heart because what I'm suffering for you, for your sake, for your glory. Paul understands that man, God's grace to him to redeem him out of this life was not just for him, but it was supposed to be for him and through him to other people. Right, as believers, that's the same. We, we, we receive this grace from God to be redeemed from this broken and sinful life, not just so that we can just say, oh, awesome, that's great, now let me live my life how I want, but so that God's grace can then be channeled through us so that we can go and show other people, here's the God that redeemed me. Here's what's true of you if you believe in Christ. Here is what you can have because of salvation being made available to us through Jesus. And he understood this. So Paul's role was to basically suffer for the gospel, to advance the church, to go and preach to the Gentiles what is theirs now because of Christ, and to make sure everyone knows that this is not just for the Jew Jews, but it's God's plan from the very beginning that this would include all nations. And so what's the church's role? The third question, what is the church's role in all of this? We know the mystery, we know Paul's role. What, what is the church, where does that come into play? A little over 10 years ago, I was interviewing to be the middle school pastor here at Journey. And uh, I remember very vividly, there, at the end of my interview process, they asked me to come and, and teach a message to the middle school students. And so I was like amped, I was so excited. I had never done this before. I'd never spoken like in front of like a big group or taught in front of a big group. And I was like, man, I'm gonna spend every waking second between uh, then and now 
or between, the, between like the last two weeks up until when I taught, just pouring my heart and soul into this message. And like, I don't know if you've ever been like excited about presenting something or doing something or getting ready for something, but I was like, man, I was in it. I was getting all these awesome illustrations and all these Bible truths together. And I'm like, I'm just gonna blow their minds. It's gonna be the best message ever. And like, everybody's gonna wanna follow Christ after this. And if you don't, you're just not the cool kids anymore, right? Or whatever it is. And so I was blowing it out of proportion in my mind. And I get there that morning and my opening illustration is about Michael Phelps. This was in like the heyday of him winning all these golds at the Olympics. And it was all about his preparation and what he would put his body through in order to be a gold medalist swimmer and the amount of calories that he would eat to do that. And so I showed them this picture of Michael Phelps with this giant stack of pancakes, not even kidding you, like a foot and a half tall and with pizzas and, and pasta and all this. And I was like, man, I'm gonna blow their minds and tell them how many calories he eats in a day. And they'll, they'll never know, they'll never know what's coming. And I was like, guess how many calories he eats in a day? And this little seventh grader stands up, he goes, I know, he's like 22,000 calories. I was like, how'd you know that, right? And if you've ever taught in front of like middle school students, when they start like beating you to the punch, it really throws you off your game. You're like, wait, I was supposed to say that. Now what do I say? And so like, I just, and it just went, like he did that and then he just kept going all throughout my message. It doesn't matter if it was about like a story from the news or if it was about the Bible. He just kept like, I was like, I had all these things I thought I was like, man, I'm gonna blow their minds. And he would just say them before I could. And I'm like, shut up, like just stop, let me speak. And then at the end of that message, I was like, man, maybe I'll just let him come up and preach, give him the mic. He obviously knows this just as well as I do. And now looking back on it 10 years later, like it was so awesome just to see this little seventh grade boy being so excited about just knowing God, knowing his truth and, and really teaching all of us in the room, like what God, who God was and how to follow him and his plan for our lives. It was, it was awesome. In the moment, it was really <laughs> unnerving, but now it's just, it was awesome to look back at. And, and I think about that moment when I think of the church's role and this unfolding mystery. In verse 10, Paul says, that all of this, he's been made a, a minister of the gospel, that he's going to preach to the Gentiles and he's going to make it known that, that salvation for all, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom, meaning the, the infinite ways that God reveals himself to all of creation, that it might be made known to the rulers and authorities and this was what blew me away this week was I was studying, not, he doesn't say on earth, not the princes and the kings and the rulers on earth. He says the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When I was studying this, this kind of blew my mind. It got me really excited to preach this week and also filled me with fear to preach on this this week. But man, when he says that the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, what he's talking about is that the angels in heaven, the good angels, and then you have your also fallen angels with Satan, that all of these are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, and that through the church, God is going to be unfolding this plan before their eyes. Because angels, they don't, they don't get the, the benefit of just like knowing all of God's plans. They're not all knowing as God is. They get to know God's plans as they unfold just like we do. They may see them differently because they're from a different vantage point in the heavenly realms, but as they're watching it in real time unfold and they're seeing God do his work, they know his promises. They're just like, but what's it gonna look like? What's it gonna look like? And it's through his church 
that he is unfolding these plans, making known his amazing ways, his wisdom and his understanding and his power. He's making all that known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places through us, his church. Just think about that. That means like when we go and we preach the gospel and someone comes to Christ, it's just like Jesus said that there's rejoicing in heaven. The angels rejoice because they're saying, look, look at that one. Look at that one coming to Christ. Look at that one. Look what this church is doing. Look what God's doing through these people. Look at this nation that's now reached for Christ when they weren't before. This is all part of God's plan and they're just rejoicing and they're praising God because they're like, this is blowing our minds. How is God doing all of this? And we see this in the life of Paul. We see this cosmic like chess match, right? Because we have Jesus, he, he comes and he dies and he raises uh, from the dead and defeats death and sin. And he gives his Holy Spirit to his disciples. And then he says, go and make disciples of all nations. And they do that by planting churches. And so you, you can imagine the angels in heaven, they're like, man, this is amazing. Like, look at, look at what God's doing. Look how he's uniting all them into a new people and fulfilling his promises to Abram. Like, this is incredible. And then Saul comes on the scene. He starts arresting them. He starts seeing them being killed. And they're like, whoa, what's happening? And the, the fallen angels and everything, they're like, yeah, we got this. Look, we got this bad dude named Saul. He's like on our side and he's like wreaking havoc on Christianity. Like he's gonna end this movement called, called the way, the way of Jesus. And God says, eh, I got a change of plans. Pulls, pulls an audible and calls Paul, Saul out of his life of sin, redeems him into being Paul, who we know. And now he's advancing the church by planting churches, uh, preaching the gospel, sending people all over the nations to, to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and King. And the angels are probably up there going like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like they took, did you see who that guy was before? And now Jesus is doing this with him? Like, how is that even possible? And this is what's going on. Because through the church, through God's movement of the church, God is revealing to the angels in heaven and the fallen angels with Satan, his, un, man, his unstoppable plan to redeem the nations through Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part of that. Every one of us in this room that have given their life to Christ, when we did that, angels rejoiced in heaven and they saw another part of God's plan unfolding. When we as a church commit ourselves to being preachers of the gospel in our communities and going into our workplaces and our schools and being his light and seeing others come to Christ or, or people seeing, man, going from uh, lives of, full of sin and darkness to lives full of light and the gospel, the angels are rejoicing and they're seeing God's plan, his kingdom ex expand and further. It's unfolding before their eyes through us as the church. We get to be a part of that unfolding mystery. And so what is our response? What, what should we do in response to all of this? That we know the mystery, we know what Paul was called to do, we know what God is using the church to do. Us in 2022, what is our response? The truth is that if we've given our life to Christ, that we are a part of this new people God has been forming in his church. That if we've given our life to Christ, we are being part of being built into that new temple. We are part being built into a new dwelling place for God. If we've given our lives to Christ, the angels have rejoiced in heaven and God has given us his Holy Spirit so that we can have direct access to him at all times. We never have to wonder, does God want to be involved in my life? Does God want to listen to my prayers? Does God want to know what's going on? The answer is yes. He would not have given you his Holy Spirit to reside within you, his presence to reside in you if he didn't want to be a part of what you're, what's going on in your life. If he didn't want you to be a part of what he's doing through his church, 
but yet he did. And I wonder what would happen if we as a church leaned into that reality more often. If we woke up every day saying, man, God's presence is within me. I am part of the, of the expansion of God's kingdom. I am part of what God is unfolding before the angels of heaven, this great mystery of the gospel and how God, God is redeeming the nations and joining them with the Jewish people to make one new people and redeeming everyone into, under his, under his uh, son's name, Jesus. What could he do with a church that is desperately seeking after him with boldness and with confidence like Paul talks about at the end of this passage? that we would boldly with great access and confidence go before God? What could he do with the church that is convinced that not only we chosen, but God wants to use us to expand his kingdom and unfold his plans? What could he do with the church that is so filled with the Holy Spirit and desperate to be used in his plans and his ways to fulfill the promises he made all the way back in Genesis 12? He could do some amazing, amazing thing. And so church, what's our response to all of this? Our response is actually found in the next verse, in verse 14, which we'll talk about next week, but uh, the, the response is that we should pray. The very next verse, Paul says, because of all of this, for this very reason, I bow my knees and I pray. I pray that you would understand all of this. I pray that you would know how much God loves you and how, how, how desperately he's working for you. And so our response to all of this, being part of the mystery and seeing the unfolding of God's, God's plan for salvation and knowing that he's using us to inform the angels and the heavenly beings in heaven is to bow our knees and, and to pray. And not just pray timidly or, or with fear and trepidation, but to come before God with boldness and confidence because we know that he has given us access through his Holy Spirit. And so my challenge for us is, as a church, let's pray. Let's be a people of prayer God is stirring something special in our hearts. I don't know if, you've, if you don't know, we've started these monthly prayer nights on the first Monday of every month, and the next one's on uh, Monday, February 7th, 6.30 to 7.30 in this room. And I would love, man, it would be so awesome to see everyone just come together and say, man, as a church, we're gonna come together boldly and confidently into God's presence, and we're going to ask him to move in ways we never dreamed possible. We're gonna ask him to use us in ways we never thought possible. We're gonna ask him to do in our lifetime what we've seen him do in others and see people come to Christ left and right and people baptized into the faith and, and just go crazy and, and see the mystery of the gospel and his plans for salvation unfolding through us. I don't know about you, but I am eager and ready to see that happen through our church. I am eager and ready to see what God can do through a church that just humbles themselves and seeks his face with boldness and with confidence through the act of praying. And I honestly believe that we are gonna see God do those amazing things that we read about in the Bible, that we think about, and he will exceed our expectations if we are a people that pray and seek his face and remember what is ours in Christ and that we are just continually in awe of the fact that we are a part of the unfolding mystery of the gospel in this lifetime. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, and God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that and you sent your son for us, Lord, and uh, because of that, we've all been adopted as sons and daughters, Lord, into your family when we place our faith in Jesus.
Lord, that we have these glorious riches that are now ours because of Jesus Christ. God, uh, help us as we go about our days, about our lives, Lord, to be mindful of that, to be in awe of that, Lord, to, to remember that we are part of that story, that the story we read about in the, gospel, or in the Gospels and in the, in the New Testament and in the Bible, Lord, that we're part of that. That story's not over yet, Lord. We await the day that Jesus returns again to usher us all into the new kingdom, Lord, but in the meantime, help us each and every day to lean into our new identity in Christ, to take advantage of the access you've given to us through your Holy Spirit. And God, would you use us in ways that we would never ask or think possible in our church family, in our families at home, in our community, in the world, Lord, at our schools, at our workplaces. God, would you just use us, Lord, and, uh, and thank you for letting be, us be a part of uh, your plans and your, and your ways, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.